Hey, Matt Chandler here with Josh Patterson with the podcast show. Looking forward to um, talking through all sorts of things uh, this episode from things that are going on at the Life of the Village, uh, some culture and theology, but uh, just diving in, finishing up the beautiful uh, design series uh, and and have finished up that series now. Josh, were there kind of major takeaways uh, you think in the life of the church? Yeah, I, I think here at the Village, this is one of those sermon series that, that just it hit home and it was relevant. It was timely. It was helpful. Um, and when I think about the history of the church and I think about some series that really stick out for me, the Heart Matters series uh, from, what was it, 2005, maybe yeah. Ecclesiastes, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, that was a powerful series, Dearest Place. I feel like as, as we're kind of seeing all that the Lord has done in this particular series, this is in that lineup of, of memorable series that the Lord has just used in profound ways. So it stirred up conversations with our men. It stirred up conversations with our women in homes and uh, with our singles and marrieds. It's just been profound. And I, and I think some elements that stick out, there's just the reality of, of how culturally relevant this conversation is and how timely it is. And to, to see that this really is God's beautiful design, that this is what we're talking about here is human flourishing. Yeah. And everybody wants that. Yeah. Everybody wants human flourishing. And so to see that, that the author of it is God himself and he has designed some things uh, to work a certain way, it, it's just been really profound. What, what stood out to you? Well, I, first I had a blast teaching it, yeah. but I, I think that that ultimately wanting to, uh, once again, call men to be what God designed them to be while simultaneously um, r- really dialing in our complementarian practice, uh, because I feel like this is where things tend to get lost here. Right. Like uh, I come across a lot of people that claim to be complementarian, and, and what they're really saying is, uh, or really how they practice the idea of complementarianism is that women don't have a voice or hardly even a view. Right. Um, and, and so you're not... They, what they're really, what they're really showing is a type of um, male domination of right. females, not true complementarianism. And right. so, wanted to be able to dive into the practice a bit, um, and so using language like needed and necessary um, for uh, the ladies here at the village. And really, my my hope was very much that this would go well beyond the village church and how we're having these conversations about gender and and roles and 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 really why God's beautiful design is heavy both on the man and the woman for their good um, and, and for the glory of God. So it's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, we ended this past weekend just talking about um, next steps and, and really how to take those next steps. So I know here at the, the village, we're, we're saying, okay, if, if men are having these short circuits and, and really getting to that place where they're sacrificially loving, they're setting the spiritual climate of home and church, they are providing physical care that we've got here at the village, we've got things that they can do. They can go to recovery. They can head to maybe Jeff Haley's Bible study. They can come talk to men they know. But, but just thinking about like other churches and maybe people who are watching the the podcast, a church that isn't as built out as ours in regards to here's here's where you can go for next steps. Here's where um, you can go for some discipleship in these areas. How's a, a, a local church that's not as um, built out, doesn't maybe have the staffing, doesn't maybe have the structures that we have in place? Um, how can they come alongside men and come alongside women in regards to discipling them up uh, to be all that God would have them be in this area? You know, it, it varies, and, and there's a, a bunch of contextual nuances that would come into play there, but 
but some things principally that I think uh, any church in any place in any context would want to do is, one, begin to have that conversation. How are we ministering to the people of this church? How are we um, coming alongside women? How are we coming alongside the men, calling them to be men, calling them to be women, and just having those honest, frank conversations? And and you know this, a lot of that, a lot of this series was birthed out of some of those conversations, yeah. some feedback that we received, some conversations that we were engaged in and are currently engaged in. I know that for you, almost before every one of these messages, you were talking with members and asking questions, gaining insight. And I think that's a good, healthy, regular practice in the life of any church. So if a church is not doing that, if church leaders aren't doing that, I think we're all missing out on some really important opportunities there. So that's where I would start. And so then any strategy, any program, any ministry would, would really be birthed out of that process. Yeah. Um, and and to, get, to get in front of it with a program um, before you've had those conversations may be a little bit premature. Sure. So. The, let, let's talk singles for a bit. I think the big thing I know for me personally in, in this series was really thinking through, okay, what does this mean for a single man? What does this mean for a single woman? And, and that, that singleness could be, 24 and not married, or it could be 46 and divorced, but right. but really to apply the Imago Dei, apply the idea of multiplication to single adults who oftentimes, particularly around this subject, feel like it's always about marriage and what it means to be married. And Well, it was good, just one, that that we re- we really didn't get into this, uh, into marriage really until much later in the series. So yeah. the series itself here started with, uh, you know, started with creation, then it moved to Imago Dei, and then it moved into manhood. And so um, it was applicable to anyone and everyone, regardless of whether or not you were married. And so, mu- so much of this conversation, uh, I think, has wrongly been catered to a married man or to a married yeah. woman. Um, but I, I think you did a great job of, of making sure that you didn't jump into that space too soon and making application, giving conversation to the single adults in our, in our membership, in our congregation. And so, um, because so much of this does, it doesn't have anything to do with marriage. Um, I'm a man, not because I'm married, but because God has created me so. Yeah. And what does that mean? then how does that play out? How does my maleness and my manhood then play out in my marriage? Um, Or how does my manhood and my maleness play out in my singleness? And so um, just one, recognizing that distinction, I think is helpful. So how about you? You Let's put a bow on this one and think, What's your what's your main takeaway from this? Thing? Yeah, my my main hope and takeaway really has to do with human flourishing yeah. and the excelling uh, of the Imago Dei uh, as men and women step into um, God's good design for us. On Monday, really coming off of this past weekend, I was just exhausted, so I took Monday off and uh, started a fire in our fireplace. It was cold here in Dallas, and um, my daughter. Um, my 11-year-old um, turned on folk angel music. And so, it, it, I mean, like Christmas has officially begun right. in the Chandler house now. With, whether I like it or not, here we go. And so it's it's upon us. Yeah, it is. And so uh, in, in, the, in the church, our rhythm is we, we kind of finish our fall series. We'll have a, a family worship weekend and then move into Advent. And Advent really is that season of life of the church where we begin to downshift a little bit and slow down, think about the birth of Christ, think about his first coming, long for his second coming, uh, extend praise and worship for the fact that he is 
currently present with us. So we think about his coming in the past, his present grace uh, and presence among us, and then his future coming. So for us, that's Advent, and yeah. we're, we're about to enter into that season. I do think you started Folk Angel prematurely, uh, but that's there is a... Well, you know, some of us, some of us want to minister deeply to the hearts of our children and some of us just set rigid, stringent, legalistic rules, but I'll just let the hearers figure that out. Yeah. And we can talk about those guys who set those rules uh, that are stringent and legalistic. But will you go ahead and finish what you were saying just a second ago? You don't want to start Christmas music until after, until after Thanksgiving. Okay. And And I I literally heard in the office today, you blame Folk Angel. (laughs) So I'm, I know. that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm going because I, I saw them tweet it out that they're going to put music out, and then you start playing it today. It's just and and you invaded everybody's space this morning with Christmas music. We haven't even had Thanksgiving yet. Uh, well, then this is a different conversation. Just listen no. for you and for everyone listening. I apologize that I get excited about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh so now oh, for the for the go. bema seat, I'm going to go. lay out there here that Jesus. I, this will be this will live on the internet. So let's talk about Thanksgiving. I'm excited let's talk about, about Thanksgiving. Loving the incarnation. Okay. So as you have clearly outlined, we're in the holiday season. We're about to jump into Thanksgiving, which I don't want to miss. I want to have an attitude of gratitude. I'm thankful for the incarnation. Go ahead. <laughs> this, is, this show is impossible. Anyway, no, it's just, it's you. Uh, so we're talking about Thanksgiving. <laughs> There's a couple of things that uh, are, are extremely personal. Um, yeah. One the holiday itself. It's, it's a holiday around family. It's all of that. But for you uh, and for a lot of us here at the church, it's, it's a holiday that, um, that we remember, um, w- which was the beginning of, of a season of cancer for you. Yeah. Where, so, um, man, you're coming up. This is five years. Five years this Thanksgiving yeah. will be five years. Thoughts on that? You know, it's, it's such an interesting holiday now because it carries it carries a type of strange weight that we, I don't think any of us really see coming until it hits. And so like last year I was sitting on the couch with Nora and um, just watching the Thanksgiving day parade with Nora and pointing out the balloons and uh, the floats. And then uh, I I got up and just walked to the kitchen and saw uh, Lauren there in the kitchen, man. And and she just gave me a hug and I just started weeping. Sure. Uh, And so it snuck up on me. Yeah. Um, And so it, it is a, I don't want to say it's kind of a day of mourning for us because it's not, but it's a day where we are hyper aware for of sure. the graces of God and all that we can be thankful for. Uh, the fact that Nora was six months old, couldn't talk, walk, or even, you know, has no memories of that. Right. And, and here I am now talking with her and cuddling with her on the couch. And um, I mean, that's a significant kind of, I'm thankful in, in ways that I think most people aren't thankful because I did have that seizure yeah. on that day. And so it isn't just, okay, let's eat. I mean, we all sit down now and we all write out what we're thankful for. And um, it's emotive in the house. You can feel it yeah. in the house. And uh, and so, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really sweet holiday for us. Yeah. Uh, but, but a strange one. For sure. I, uh, I started to think about holidays, and, and you know this. You know my situation. It's somewhat similar to your all of my family's here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my my dad and stepmom, my in-laws, my mom. And so in a sense, it, if you've seen the movie Four Christmases, it's kind of like that. Where we're, we're running all over the place. We've got Christmas here, Christmas there. We're trying to do it with our family uh, to carve out special times as Natalie and I and the kids. And, and it can be a little bit hectic. And we're buying presents for all these people and trying to make it all work. And, man, if I'm honest, I, I get caught up in the... 
somewhat exhaustion of it. So there's a, sure. there's a sense where I love it and then a sense where I'm really excited about December 26th um, because it's so full. Um, I don't know, man. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I, it's going to always be a fight. I mean, it. I mean, I just can't. <laughs> it's always going to be a fight. There's always going to be the. Are you pool. laughing at my situation? I am. No, I'm not laughing it's at sad, your situation. You're laughing at it. <laughs> Is this what you guys wanted when you <laughs> envisioned the podcast show? The um, I, I think ultimately, that I'm trying to flex by. I took some time off this year, yeah. um, so I could just slow down that week of Thanksgiving. And kind of give myself to thinking and being with family. And, and maybe everybody can't do that. But that's one of the ways where I just saved some what we call pay time off and, and just saved three days of it for this season. So I could purposefully fight against the pull towards that chaos. Because I've got sisters and in-laws and parents and everyone right, right here also. And so I, I don't want – I want to slow it down for my kids. I want to slow it down for us. Um, and, and so it, I think it's just always going to be a fight though. This is I mean, a grind. Yeah. It I is. just don't, you just got to fight the, against it. The energy, um, that would normally go into just giving myself into the frantic nature of the holidays is now spent on fighting against that frantic right. nature. So it's still energy spent. Yeah. Um, but I think spent in a better way. Do you plan on cooking anything on the big green egg? Well, I love my big green egg, but uh, the way it's ordered for Thanksgiving, I will not be firing up the egg this year. But I did smoke a turkey on it last year. And my father-in-law, who's significantly older than me, um, said that it was the best smoked turkey he'd ever had in his life. So I don't think that's me. I think it was the big green egg. But Well done. Thank you. Yeah. It was excellent. Good for you. The leftovers disappeared quickly. I bet they did. Hey, um, I do want to be mindful of this, just thinking about the holidays, that this is a time just where a lot of us are experiencing loss. It's a time where um, it may be the first Christmas, the first Thanksgiving without a dad around, without a mom around, without um, a close friend or whatever it may be. And so pastorally, just considering as we enter into the holiday season that, yes, it's a time of celebration. Yes, it's a time uh, to rejoice, but it's also a time to recognize that there's there's loss and becomes real poignant during these seasons. And so uh, if I could just encourage uh, one, our church, to be mindful of that. Yeah. Sometimes we, we lose sight of that, especially if we're not ones who are grieving. But but for some, it's a real it's a real challenging season, I think, of some of our staff members. And I know some members of the church that um, they're not necessarily looking forward to Thanksgiving yeah. because it's the first time that uh, so-and-so won't be with them. And so just to be mindful of that entering into the season, that sometimes it's weighty as well. And even like if you're in a church setting, um, thinking about those who are single, who are, they, they live far from home, they, and, and reaching out to them. I know, um, we, we love and try to have people in our home every year, uh, where we can, who we just know. Uh, I, I think of people who are here at our church, their family, like say is back in New York and, um, their singles here and how we might serve and, um, create space for them around the table. Or if you're looking for a place to go, Steve Harden's house. Steve Harden. Harden's got a great house. I it mean, I, any time you go to Steve Harden's house, it's kind of a holiday. It's so, kind of a holiday. There's no doubt. Well, I've enjoyed it, man. We're gonna about to shift gears a little bit and talk about culture and theology. It'll be a good time. Okay, we're going to jump into our segment here on culture and theology and want to talk about a topic that, um, you know, it, it's been a couple of weeks in the making now and maybe some of the uh, the conversational buzz has waned a little bit, although not 
not significantly, but it has waned a bit. But we know that there there will be other stories like this that will present themselves. And I'm yeah. talking specifically about Brittany Maynard and and her cause, um, which was to to die with dignity. So we're talking here about assisted suicide, and we're talking about what what is the right play here with somebody who has a terminal disease? Do they have the opportunity to end their life the way that they want to? And it, it caused quite a conversation, quite a stir, and, and, and a lot of controversy. And and the reason I want to talk about this, and we want to talk about this, is one, this 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 was one story, but it points to a greater issue. There's no doubt. Um, and the greater issue is it's an Imago Day issue. Yeah. It's, it's an issue about life. It's about the right to die, what that means, what that doesn't mean. And, um, you know, as I was reading uh, about Brittany's story, which is a sad story. Yeah, it really um, is. It certainly is. Um, I mean, you feel for her, you feel for her family. Um, I came across another story that was was very different than that with a girl named Lauren Hill. Yeah, they're interesting and contrasting. They, yeah, yeah. They? and she's got a brain tumor as well, and, and it's terminal. It's not looking good for her, but she's chosen a different path. Um, and both garnered some spotlights for different reasons. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting to read some op-ed pieces where both were praising them um, for being courageous yeah. and brave. And um, one story, uh, particularly Lauren's, I resonated with more, and and I, um, it it grabbed my heart in a different way than than Brittany's story, and so I think this whole topic becomes a lot more personal um, for you because sure. with, in the case of both of these girls, they have a they have a similar yeah. uh, diagnosis that you received. Yeah, and, so, and in fact, Brittany's just a grade higher. Yeah, so the yeah, I mean, I I feel like I could talk um, forever on this, so so I'll kind of. Um, guard some of my thoughts. I, I think that, um, one, it's not always a good thing to listen to the guess of our doctors. Um, and, and that would be the first thing. I mean, I, I think back on hearing that night in David Barnett's office that I probably had two to three years yeah. and that a bulk of that was going to be spent in chemo and radiation and, and think about what had, what, what if I would have just heard that and then gone this route? And and here I am five years later, no sign of anything, right. fully recovered, no residual effects, um, and and so I I think that's a piece of it. But I but I think more importantly, and in, in the piece that has to be discussed is is should men and women have this right? right? And and we clearly say they they don't. I mean, if I go stand on a building right now, I want to fling myself off. I'm I mean that's a crime, and and so there are already laws around. Um, that this type of suicide, much less assisting someone in suicide. So even the legality of it in Oregon, I think there's one other state that has it, still brings some questions that I think you have to answer and some realities about mortality that I, I think that people aren't willing to really think through. And so um, we're, we're all dying, right. every one of us. We're, we're getting weaker from the day we're born. You're going to grow to this point and then everything else is downhill. And, and so at what point are we able to just decide, I'm not willing to do that? And, and how I, I just feel like, and I want to be careful here because I know, I'm, I know where all this is framed up in Brittany's story, but it, it's a really selfish act to take from others um, the, the walking with you in your suffering. And, and so one of the things I noticed as I walked through chemo and radiation and we wrestled through life and death and I have three kids, I have a beautiful wife, I have good friends, right. I have, is that it, it wasn't just my story. And it was happening to me, 
but it was everyone's story. For I mean, sure. It was affecting everyone yeah. around me. And it, like, if if we could bring in Lauren and have Lauren weigh in on this, her helping me in those seasons, um, her cleaning up after me, her um, getting to minister to me in my pain, in my weakness, in my fear, in my loss. Um, to her, it was a great privilege that taught her much about the Lord, much about herself. And and so, it, and, and even you and I have had conversations about what the Lord did in your life. Absolutely. Like, how cruel of me or how selfish of me to rob all of you of that experience right. because of my fear, my anxiety, my... Um, my refusal to walk in the the path that the sovereign Lord put before me. And so I, I think that's a better way to think about it, that like when, when I got diagnosed, it was my diagnosis, all right? It was in my body. It was happening to me. I was going to be the one that had to endure pain. I was going to have to be the one that maybe lost their mind. I was going to have to be the one in a very young, strong body that, that might have their brain disintegrate in their head. And who knows all that that would lead to. I had great fears about what that would lead to. And, and yet the sweet presence of God via friends and family and the prayers of the saints and that own kind of supernatural presence of God in, in those moments where I was really afraid or really perplexed or just really feeling miserable um, were just so rich that I don't, I don't really know how to talk with them to people who haven't been there. Uh, but people who have, people who've laid on the floor, people who have wondered, like, like there's a, there's a type of community there that that's hard to have with other people around this subject, which is why I, I think I've become so much more effective here at the village when someone's got cancer to go sit by their sides and they're going to, they're going to receive my comfort much more quickly than they I mean, they'll start talking to me about their drugs and I hadn't, I wasn't on any of those drugs they're even mentioning, but they just know they drugged me and they drugged me bad. So I know this. And, and so that empathy and brotherhood, sisterhood kind of fraternity that is created there, um, is a real rich bond. And, and I just don't think you should, I know you shouldn't have the right to take that from everybody. Yeah. We talked about this, something that was so helpful. I know for me personally, and certainly for you as well as you walk through it was, was having a framework for a good, loving, and gracious God that informed all of this uh, for you and for us as a church prior to. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know all the people's theological framework who are weighing into this, but I know that this, this ultimately boils down to a theological issue. It is. So some things that, that are at play when we talk about um, cultural issues like this, this is an Imago Day issue. This when we're talking about people, we're talking about those who are made in the image of God, whether or not they know it or not. Yeah. They are made as image bearers. And part of that responsibility and role and privilege of an image bearer is to reflect and to be a kind of a vice regent of God Almighty. There are some things that are being reflected in my life because I'm made in the image of God. And then to to take that image um, and to purposefully um, and intentionally uh, destroy it or yeah. or take it away is it's a sad thing it, yeah. it's a weighty thing and um so it, it it's the topic is heavier than it may appear uh, it there's there's more weight to this than it may appear it's a sanctity of life issue we talk yeah. about we talk about right to life and and oftentimes when we think about that we think about the unborn and that's where the conversation oftentimes spends the the, the majority of it is we're talking about these little ones in the womb, but the sanctity of life, these issues extend outside of the womb all the way through. And in this case, to the end of one's life. Yeah. 
So I think if you're thinking about dying with dignity, I think how you see and understand what it means to be human is going to help us define dignity. Um, I, I spent um, a, a chunk of time in the hospital after surgery, and I've often joked um, w- with people that the first thir- the first thing they take from you in the hospital is your dignity. And so I, I know for me, coming off of you know a seven eight hour um, right frontal lobe resection that, um, man, I couldn't hardly walk. I couldn't shower by myself. I couldn't, I needed help going to the bathroom. I I couldn't dress myself. I couldn't. And, and so there was a type of helplessness there where I'm looking haggard. I'm not able to shave. I'm, and, and so there's this kind of dignity of being able to present yourself, um, that, that kind of is removed in that level of suffering. And, and yet I'm wondering if that's not a type of faux dignity, and that really dignity is rooted in the fact that we are image bearers and not necessarily in our own ability to like strengthen right. ourselves, right. clothe ourselves, wash ourselves. So and- everything that you just described of, of, in a sense, taking away your dignity had to do with performance, what you yeah. could do or could not do, what you were capable of, not capable of. And if we begin to define human dignity and worth – around things like what I can do, cannot do, what I'm capable of, not capable of. The implications are massive. So then people who can't um, do something no longer have value and worth. Well, I mentioned Darren Payne, even when we talked about Imago Dei, one of our favorite people and just struck down with autism. He's not going to be able to do a whole lot. But what's beautiful about the reality of what God says about him is that guy, he's worth something. Why? Because he's an image bearer. Yeah. And so it, it really is powerful and profound. So, so personally, um, reading these, uh, these stories and all these op-eds and all of that, I think about, I wonder if, if Christians are confused around this space. If, if, uh, if they see this and they, they're not quite sure what the Scripture would say, how God would yeah. respond, what, what the church's response to this is, because nobody wants suffering. Uh, and, yeah. and in a very real sense, nobody should want suffering. Uh, suffering is a sign and a mark of the fall, and it's it's the unwelcome neighbor to all of us in yeah. a sense. But it's there, yeah. and it, it's it's not going anywhere until God comes back and and recreates this world. And so, for the church to think rightly about this, uh, I think is tremendously important. No, and and so I think this is where. I think this is where preachers and pastors have to enter the space. And I think we're so shell-shocked by the religious right that we don't want to enter into cultural issues anymore. And the, the reality is they're not cultural issues. They're worldview issues. They're what the Word of God says. There's a beautiful reality that preachers and teachers have to be willing to enter into and and step into that space. And because the really almost every bit of darkness that we could point to there comes back to Imago Dei issues, yep. a failure to understand that men and women have been made in the image of God and and all the implications of what the Imago Dei means. And I think where you have a strong sense of that as a church, you're going to be far more active in regards to all, all sorts of issues. This issue would be one that you would immediately would be flagged in your mind about, no, 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 that's an affront on the very design of God. I think about abortion. I think about sex trafficking. I think about prostitution. I even think about pornography. Like a high view of the Imago Dei informs how you see and think about pornography in, in a way that I think would be helpful for brothers to right. understand to, to may, maybe help curtail their appetite. Yeah, absolutely. Race issues, reconciliation yeah. issues, 
And and if I could just commend a message just to, we talked about it earlier with a beautiful design. I think it was the second message yeah, in the series about the Imago Dei. And, and you kind of walk through all of those implications, how this, to miss this is like to miss the, the top button on a shirt. Everything yeah. else is out of line yeah. when you miss this, when you fail to see people as image bearers and fail to see yourself as an yeah, image bearer. Um, man, is to miss out really on the beauty of what God has for us as a people and then for me individually. It, it's just, it, there's too much there to not uh, have the church boldly, compassionately, and with conviction. Well, and the great thing when you're talking about the Imago Dei is the Imago Dei itself is a, a doctrine just rooted in compassion and beauty yeah. and hope. And it, it's not a... It's not a doctrine you should be beating people over the head with. It's an identity issue that helps inform the deepest parts of us. And so I, I think there's a way to tackle um, Imago Dei, whereas preachers and teachers, what we're doing is going, look at how beautiful God's plan is. And and then you can contrast that to that, some of the ugliness in the world in a way that's really helpful versus I think the the approach too many brothers want to take is they want to take the ugliness of the world and decry it as ugly and amen to that. But but if we tear everything down and we don't show them a place to live, then everybody ends up homeless. Yeah. And so, man, if, if they're listening to this podcast, my, my hope would be that they'd be able to teach this is where your identity is rooted and found in being made in the image of God and then being able to fully walk in all that God has said about you and the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then from there, let's look at the implications of this, how we should think rightly about these things in light of these things. So I I think that where you get into some of these cultural issues, sands an understanding of the Imago Dei, then people feel condemned and judged and attacked rather than, oh, no, 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 God has something so much better. Now, let's look at the cheap substitutes of this. Well, and so just one, I appreciate you. And as, as we talk about this story in particular, as the, as the presenting issues were brain cancer and, yeah. and uh, a really horrible situation, to have walked with you and to watch you suffer well and to teach us through your suffering what, what true dignity is and, and what it means to trust in a God who has created you and cares for you, sustains you, and has promised things to you, both now and forevermore, has been profoundly impactful. And so, as you said earlier, just about um, that, yes, this this was your diagnosis, this yeah. was your situation, but this story involved a lot more people. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like I was one of those, and our church has been collectively one of those people, and, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, it, it was a tough road to hoe, obviously, yeah. it has been. Um, but in all of it, um, the Lord has proved himself to be faithful yeah, and, and mighty. And so as we, you know, we said it and earlier. Even, and, you know, I, I always want to say, even if it had gone totally. the other way, right? And I saw that's the piece I don't want us to miss, that God isn't good because I'm here right. doing this podcast, even though I'm unbelievably grateful, yeah. but but that he was good and that he's good. And we have we have stood at the bedside of brothers who... Who aren't uh, here. Who aren't here We couldn't anymore. interview about this. And, and they they would say in their last few breaths that he is good. Yeah. He has sustained them and he is faithful. And so, um, yeah, we've seen both sides of it. And in all of it, uh, Christ has proved himself to be faithful, worthy, and supreme. And, and for that, we're grateful. And so hopefully this has been a, a helpful podcast and, and enjoy the conversation. Uh, some of it weighty and some of it uh, ridiculous. Well, and we like to have a good time. We do. So we don't have to hide We that. do. So I look forward to 
our next time, um, just uh, as we jump back into life of the village and culture issues and things like that. So um, this is it for this edition of the Village Podcast Show. Happy Thanksgiving.